Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us, and we thank you for the opportunity to be together and to open the Word of God and to go through uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonian church. We thank you for calling us as your children uh, to salvation, to, to knowing you, to having our sins forgiven. And we thank you, Father, for the, the Word of God that you've given us that strengthens our lives and sanctifies us. We ask that you would be with us this morning as we go through these, these two letters, that, Father, that you would uh, open our eyes and our hearts to receive them, to receive uh, the observations from the Word of God, to, to, to see the themes. And we hope that it brings more worship in our life, that it brings us closer to you as we, we know you more. And so today we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity and we thank you uh, for the time to be together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, today we're doing First and Second Thessalonians. And if you don't know who this is, for the recording, this is David Grant. It's my first time doing this. And I'm excited to be here. Very much excited to be here and to, to share this time with you. And so, um, ah, I hear it. So uh, the, the note here I have is that you can do one BBR for this, for this, uh, for both of these epistles. So all, that, all that's necessary is one, um, since the books are have similar themes and uh, a similar the similar writing in the similar time. Okay. Are those of you taking notes off the slides? How many are taking notes off the slides? A few. So I will I will give you enough time to take notes. I know how it is. I was the guy that wanted to race through it all and get it all done while he was talking. So I will do my best to give you a couple minutes per slide. Um, for an introduction on First and Second Thessalonians, the author is Paul. The date is about 51 A.D. for both of them. Uh, and here's the situation. Paul, Timothy, and Silas have been ministering in Philippi. And Paul and Silas have been jailed and asked to leave the city. And this is around 49 to 50 A.D. Uh, and so this is, this is referencing, if you have a reference there, it's Acts chapter 16, 11 through 40. So that is your, that is your church history uh, uh, reference there. So Acts chapter 17, uh, they're still bruised from having been beaten. They came to Thessalonica, and Paul preached in the synagogue for three Sabbaths. A few Jews and a lot of Gentile idol worshipers have, have come to faith in Christ. So... What I hope to show you by the end of this, uh, little, uh, this little study here is what should we do? We are not apostles. We do not, we do not have miracles. We are, we are not folks that are, are traveling the world being beaten at every stop. But what can we do as brothers and sisters in Christ? How can we continue the work that Paul has started to proclaim the gospel and to live a life that brings honor to him? And so I hope by the end of this, um, that'll be the goal of mine, is just to show you in the scripture what you can do as a believer in Christ and what is your part now to play. And so Paul has been uh, beaten. He has been run out of Philippi, realized that he was there. The jailer was there. He was going to kill himself. And Paul says, stop, we're all here. They're singing. They're, they're worshiping in the, uh, in the jail where they're at. And so they make a complete mess of this entire town of Philippi, this region. And so they, are, they want them out. They kick them out. Uh, and so he is writing this book. Um, likely while he's ministering in Corinth about a year, uh, Paul had been hearing reports about the church in Thessalonica, and he wrote to them these two letters just uh, months after the other. So Timothy has been sent to Thessalonica to, to give a report how this little church is doing, and he brings back word to Paul, and Paul sends two letters so that he can commend them for their love and for the fact that all through the region they are hearing about this little church in Thessalonica. So all of Macedonia is hearing about this church, and so 
but Paul wanted to send that message back to them of their labor and of their love and that what they were doing, sharing the gospel and spreading it, was making an impact in the world. And so um, a lot of converted uh, Gentile believers are coming. They're idol worshipers. And so Paul is seeing this throughout the entire region. He'll be in Corinth. We know the issues that he had with the Corinthian church. And they were leaving their idol worship and they were leaving their, their pagan worship practices. And, and so now Paul is seeing this in Thessalonica. And he is, he, is, he, is, he is showing them, hey, just like in Thessalonica, the people in Corinthians, in the Corinth church, they're coming to Christ. And also about this time, he's writing the, the letter of Romans as well. And so Paul is assured of the power of God. He has seen it in the lives of Gentile believers as they're coming to Christ and as they're leaving their, their idols and their pagan worship and they're wholeheartedly converting over to Christianity. And so Paul says, that's, that's what a believer does. This is, this is an obvious uh, example of what, how the power of God changes the lives of believers. And so Thessalon- uh, this, these books, uh, these epistles to Thessalonians are a part of that. The historical and theological themes, although the letters differ somewhat in tone, Second Thessalonians is a little bit more direct and corrective. They, uh, they share many of the same themes. Um, there's some observations that we want to make uh, that they have in common. And so one of the big, the big things they have in common is we get some of the earliest theology on the rapture, the second coming of the Lord. Um, the word rapture uh, is the word harpazo. And it is and in English, it's mentioned as being caught up. And so we start to get this, this, uh, the theology of the end times, realizing that John's gospel and John's revelation have not been written and they will not have not be written for many decades. And so you have Paul having a, a first glimpse and he's starting to share this information with the, the church in Corinth in first Corinthians 15. And he's starting to share with, with the Thessalonian church in these two epistles that he gives. So these are very early um, early revelations of, of the coming of Christ, the day of the Lord. So the parousa, the entirety of the rapture and the second coming of Christ. So this is this concept of what is going to happen before the day of the Lord or before the catching away of the saints. First Thessalonians 2.19 uh, from the ESV. For what, what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? 1 Thessalonians 3.13 So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. 1 Thessalonians 4.15 For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord uh, that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's even more. Second Thessalonians 2, 1 through 2. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. He continues on another, 2 Thessalonians 2.8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearing of his coming. So now we have some imagery and some, some, some information now on the day of the Lord. Uh, from 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, number 2, verse 2. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 2 Thessalonians 2.2. 2. Not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. And then we have a theme of the coming wrath. 
1 Thessalonians 1.10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And then we have another, 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 8. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So the imagery, the, the information that we're getting about the parousa, the coming of the Lord, about the day of the Lord and the coming wrath, Paul is starting to answer these questions for these, believing, for these believers in the church. And so this information really leads us to what's going to happen at the end. What's going to happen to those who have passed away? What about the dead saints? What are we going to do with them? What, you know, Paul, what's happening with them? And then also, what's going to happen before this? You know, kind of give us the sign of the times, much like what the apostles asked Jesus. You know, what are the signs of your coming? And so Paul is saying, this is going to happen. These are things that are going to happen before the day of the Lord. This is what's going to be the effect. So that is a major theme in First and Second Thessalonians. And the next thing we have is prayer. And we have lots of scripture here. First uh, Thessalonians 1, 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in prayers. Second uh, Thessalonians 1, 11 through 12. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of, uh, of faith by his power. Verse 12, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. And we also have some other scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13, 5, 23 through 24, and 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 and 2, 5 and 16. Am I going too fast? <laughs> Lots of scripture. That's my notes. It's just all reading scripture. Another theme. Sanctified, blameless life. So another theme of these two, two uh, epistles. It's very, very, uh, it's not co- uh, coincidental that we have the day of the Lord coming and then we have preparing for it. Right? If our, if our hearts are set upon the Lord and we are waiting for His appearing, then what we have is a desire to live sanctified, a desire to live holy. I'm going to, I'm going to go a little bit off script here. I'm going to go over to Titus because there's a passage uh, that I love in Titus chapter 2. And what we do as, as believers is we learn, we learn what we should do as believers. What, how we should we live our lives? How should we interact with our church? And for what purpose? And so I want to read out of Titus chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go a little bit off, but I want to... I want to give uh, a, little, uh, uh, a little bit of this, uh, some time to this, this passage here. So I'm going to read uh, Titus chapter 2, 1 through 15. But, uh, so this is Titus. Uh, Paul is telling Titus how to establish the churches and to set up elders. And so then he gives the qualities of a sound church and he gives a reason why. And so I wanted to connect with you Paul's letter to the Thessalonian church and now Paul's letter to Titus. But as for you, speak these things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and patience. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the work of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men... To 
uh, to be sober-minded. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who has an opportunity may be ashamed, having nothing evil to speak of you. Exhort bondservants to be uh, obedient to their masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. I'm reading from the New King James, by the way. But here, here in verse 11 is, is the catch. We do these things for the glory of the Lord. And, and in verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. The reason that, that Paul told Titus to proclaim these truths to, the, to the, the churches that he was visiting was because we are going to appear before the Lord Jesus. And so our mind should be, let's be doing the work of the Lord. Let's be living our life to love one another and let us do it for the glory of Christ. So this shows us in, in Titus and in, in Thessalonians that a mind focused on seeing your Savior face to face is a life that will be changed and desiring to obey Him. And so Paul is, is reaching out to the church in, these, in this message in his epistles and he's saying this is how you live your life in the church this is how you live your life before the Lord and the Lord is coming you're going to see him and so be ready for it sanctify yourself set yourself apart and so he's commending the the Thessalonians for their their great love for one another and for the testimony that they are sharing the gospel to the world they are literally going everywhere and sharing Christ and in much infliction and much and much suffering they're doing this and so that is our that is our example for us to live uh, in this time so a sanctified, blameless life. 1 Thessalonians 2, 10 and 11. You were witnesses of God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children. 2 Thessalonians two thirteen through 14. But we also ought to always give thanks to you, to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through the gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Also, we have 1 Thessalonians 3.13, 5, uh, 5.23-24, and 2 Thessalonians 3-13. These are, again, talking about sanctification, a blameless life. Not a life that you're, you're, you're imprisoned because of your own sin, but a life that you, are, that you are suffering and living for the glory of Christ, and you are making an impact by proclaiming the gospel. Paul's model for new believers... Imitate mature believers and the Lord. And so, you know, going back to Titus chapter 2, why do we teach the old men to teach the younger men? Why do we teach the older women to teach the younger women? Because that is the pattern that we should have in the church. To imitate those who by faith and by maturity in Christ can then teach others. Why do we disciple one another? Why do we mentor one another for the same purpose? Because it brings glory to God and because He commands it in His Word. And so that is why we gather. That is why we share. That is why um, we grow so that we would, we would be more useful. That we would be uh, more, more able to minister and disciple others. 1 Thessalonians 1.6 And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They were in joy because they were suffering affliction. Because they, that meant their faith was being tested and that they were passing that test. That God was faithful to keep us and to keep us um, uh, blameless before Him. 
one thing that we, we observe from these texts um, that the, the themes, eschatology, depth of prayer, living a sanctified life, humbly learning from others and setting an example for others. The, the conventional wisdom is that this is for topics of mature believers, right? Mature people should do these things. Mature people should be the older, the older mature believers should teach the younger ones. The older mature women should teach the younger one. We actually have no evidence of that. The Thessalonian, the Thessalonian church is young. They are new in their faith. They have left their idols. They have left their pagan worship. And now they are doing what a mature believer would do, which is proclaiming the gospel and ministering to one another and suffering affliction. So the observation here is that these are things that you do, you know, that these would be things that we would learn and grow over a number of years. But actually Paul's wisdom is showing here that these are the themes for new believers. Now, don't wait until you're mature to start sharing your life. Don't wait until you're mature to start sharing the gospel. Don't sit still until well, you're ready. Paul's wisdom would be, get doing it. Continue doing it. Start it now. Share the gospel now. Share your faith now. And so that's what we see in a life that's been set apart and that's been changed by Christ. is a life that wants to uh, share that with others. So that is an observation for all believers, young and old. And, uh, and so that's what we see in, in this Thessalonian church. They are a very young church. Paul is checking in on them and wondering how they're doing. And he's hearing from all over the area that, they're, that they're, their faith is being proclaimed and they are suffering for the cross of Christ. Paul's letters to them are short. And so that is a, a wonderful blessing that he gets right to the point. The purposes of First and Second Thessalonians. Paul exhorted the Thessalonian believers to grow in holiness so that they might be blameless when Christ returns. So he is connecting, you are going to see the Lord with live a life that honors him in your conduct and in your speech and in, your, in the way that you walk. Second uh, Thessalonians, the purpose. Paul called the Thessalonian believers to, to steadfastness and to Christian growth in the light of the return of Christ. The day of the Lord is coming. And so we are preparing for that day. And so how do we do that? We live a life that's holy and sanctified and blameless before Christ, before the Lord, for His purpose. The, liter- the literary structure of 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 1, Paul's thanksgiving for the Thessalonians. Thank- thankful that, they're, that they are doing the work of the ministry, that they are sharing the gospel. Paul's ministry to the Thessalonians, chapters 2 and 3. Paul's exhortation to the Thessalonians in 4 and 5. The literary structure of 2 Thessalonians, an encouragement in persecution, an explanation of the day of the Lord in chapter 2, and the exhortation to readiness, be ready, uh, chapter 3. Let me give you guys a few seconds to write those notes down. I can go back one. You darn, yeah, I can do that. Oh, that's a lot longer. I should have uh, gone through the observation while you guys were finishing that slide instead of hopping through it. Let's see here. We're going to be taking a run here pretty quick on these next parts, so catch your breath. Can I go into the next slide? Is that all right? Mm-hmm. I, I do have a note that I'm going to get to at the, at the end, so I don't want to take that now. No, I'll just give you guys another second to finish up.
wish I had some stories. Anybody want a story? I don't have a story. No stories? Okay. No. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. The practicality of the local church. So this, this, these two letters are intensely practical for the nature of the Thessalonian uh, epistles for our local church. When I first got to, to, um, to Grace Bible seven years ago, Steve was going through the, first, the, the Thessalonian uh, epistles. And so it was about what is a pleasing church? What does a church that pleases the Lord look like? And so he did uh, a number of sermons on that. And it was, a, it, was a, it was great to come into a church that was talking about the purpose of the church. And so Thessalonians is filled with, with that with that information from Paul. If First and Second Timothy and Titus are called the pastoral epistles for the wisdom and direction they give leadership, then First and Second Thessalonians should be called the ecclesiological epistles for the, wor- the wisdom and the direction they give the church members. So we're going to, going to see very quickly what is our, our responsibility. And Paul does not spend a lot of time trying to describe and tell us, you know, working it out, you know, giving us long explanations. He is very much giving us uh, a lot of commands to do. And so in my, in my notes that are not from here, how to be faithful, uh, a faithful church, verses 1 through 10, uh, I have some bullet points. How to be faithful as a church from 1 Thessalonians 1. Laboring for the gospel. Our hope should be that we're laboring for the gospel. That's verse 3. Uh, verse 3, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. Hoping in Christ. Hoping for His appearing. Hoping for His return. Hoping that the gospel goes forth. Uh, understanding election. He calls the Thessalonians the chosen Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. So election is, is the reason, it's the why that we have the strength and the ability to go out on the behalf of the Lord and to proclaim the gospel because we have been transformed as a people, as, a, as, as believers in Christ. Verse 5, operating in dependence on the Holy Spirit. We have much assurance. For, you, for the gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, so that you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. So Paul, Paul Timothy, and Silas are examples. They are, they are laboring. They're working. Paul even says, you know, we labored among you for the time. Um, they had the right as apostles to request that they, could, that they should receive uh, payment and, and, and support as they were uh, preaching the gospel. But they decided to work along the Thess- alongside the Thessalonians to be an example as well. They loved the word of God, verse 5. They, imita- they were imitating the mature believers, verse 6. They were walking through suffering with joy. An example of a believer who is full of the Holy Spirit is one that can go through suffering, go through trial, and do it with joy. That is a mark of a believer. That God is sustaining you, that God is keeping you, and that God is making you stand when, when there's no reason, there's no, no, no ability in yourself to do it. But that He is giving you joy through your suffering. That's, that's what's shown in verse 6. And then evangelizing the lost in verse 8. And demonstrating sanctified lives in verse 9. So they're leaving the life. Verse 9, 1 Thessalonians 1, 9. For they themselves declare concerning you what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Paul is commending them for the fact that they just left their old life and they clinged to Christ and to the words that Paul was preaching them. And Paul even will go on uh, in, in, the next, in the next time and he will say, and that you, you didn't act as if it was just words of men, but you acted, you acted as if it was literally the word of God to you. 
And so they took it seriously and they accepted what Paul said. They, 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 they swallowed the whole, the whole thing hook, line, and sinker. They believed and they trusted in God. And as believers, that's our example. The church should trust in the Holy Spirit's work in our life and the, and the church should trust in God's power when we proclaim the gospel and we live a life blameless that it will, it will bring glory to God. Let's see here. How to appreciate how to appreciate the ministry of those who bring the gospel. So here's some, here's some uh, observations from the text. Verses 2, uh, chapter 2, 1 through 4, remembering their boldness. Uh, chapter 2, vi- uh, 5 through 8, remembering their love. Chapter 2, 9 through 12, to remember their labor. And Paul in verse 12, he, he brings up uh, a, a theme that he has sprinkled out through all of his epistles. And that theme is, um, in verse 12, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The idea of walking worthy is, a, is something that Paul mentions in almost every one of his letters. He is mentioning, he's mentioning to them, run your race, contend for the faith, walk worthy of the call. To, uh, Paul is, is striving to, to see Christ created in, our, in the believers that he is laboring for. And he's telling them, walk worthy, walk worthy. You're a child of God. You have been, you have been set free. You have left your old pagan life. Come, come to Christ, come fully to Christ, and, and, uh, and walk worthy of the call. And so to the church, what the church should be hearing is the same thing, that we should walk worthy, that we should live a blameless and sanctified life so that we would walk worthy, we'd bring honor to the Lord. And so Paul is picking up there as well. And of course, the connection to walking worthy is, is that you're going to see the Lord one day. You're going to see Him face to face. You're going to, to give an account, and you're also going to, to see uh, your Savior, and so he is. He is. Paul is encouraging them to prepare themselves for for the coming of, of the Lord. The the Christian's response to the gospel in chapter four, holy living, chapter uh, chapter four one through eight, and brotherly love, chapter four nine through twelve, and then we have uh, eschatology. Encourage one another with knowledge of the rapture and resurrection. And that's 4, 13 through 18. Uh, it is a, such a wonderful uh, passage that I, I will take time to read it as well. But comfort one another with these things. Verse 13, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those, things, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that's our salvation, our, the gospel message. Even so, God will bring with him those who are asleep in Christ, in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words as an observation realize this is God this is the Lord Jesus coming in the air not coming to the Mount Olives he is catching his saints he's catching them up to meet them in the air the dead the dead first and those who are alive and remain second and so we get a really a very simple definition of what's going to happen on that day that the trump of God blows so we want to encourage one another or comfort one another with these sayings uh, how to treat your leaders, uh, chapter 5, 12 through 13. 
And we urge you, brothers, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourself. And so we're, Paul is commanding us very shortly, recognize, this word is to know. In the King James, it just says recognize, but it means to know them. It means to know your shepherds. It means to know those who are laboring, to know the mature believers, to be in the lives of those uh, in the church, and to esteem them, and to, and, to, and to see them for their work that they do for you. And so as Steve and as Darren and as David, they bring the word of God and they proclaim the word of God to us. We should esteem them. We should put them at a place that says, thank you, God, for the men that you have sent us to, to, to proclaim the word of God to us and to esteem their words. They are actually speaking the words of God to you. And in and Corinthians, Paul calls it a mercy. It's a mercy. You are hearing the word of God to let you know what you need to know before you need to know it. It is a mercy to you. Please hear the word of the Lord. Please hear the preaching of God as a mercy, preparing you for something that you're going to need to be prepared for. And so uh, it is a mercy for you to be ready and to prepare your hearts. And so please, take, uh, please esteem that word, the preaching of the word of God that way. How do we treat one another? Uh, verses 14 and 15. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Paul just simply says, look for the good of others. Prefer one another. That's, that's what he says in the Philippian letter. That's what he says in the other letters. He just says it a little bit differently. Um, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. The word always there is important. Always be looking out for the benefit of others, for the good of others. Living a mature Christian life. Uh, verse 16. These are the bullet points. Rejoice always. Verse 17. Be prayer, uh, be, always be prayerful. Pray without ceasing. So these are, the, these are the, the things that a mature Christian does. This is the life that they, that they live. Be thankful. Verse 18. In everything give thanks. For that, that is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If you, if you start at uh, 15, what you're seeing is that the word always is everywhere present below that. So you're always pursuing what is good for yourselves and others. You're rejoicing always. You're praying without ceasing. That sounds like always, right? In everything, always give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. A mature believer has seen the work of God in their lives. They have seen the work of God in others. And so that, that, that becomes what their motivation is. That becomes what they desire to do. They just desire to honor the Lord, to be with God's people, to love each other, to pray, to pray at all times, to pray whenever someone says, hey, I'm going I'm to pray for you. Uh, I want to pray for you. They just do it. And these are the things that a mature believer does. They've learned this is what pleases the Lord. That They've learned that this is what honors Christ. And so that they're, they, they're willing to do it. And then also uh, to, to be submissive to God. Do not quench the spirit. Do not take an opportunity to, take, to let off the gas, but to continue to live a life that honors the Lord. Be mindful of God's work. Verse 20. Do not despise prophecies. Okay. Be discerning and wise. Verse 21. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. So the, the truth that you've received, keep it. Continue to do it. Continue obeying the Lord. And continue to, uh, to do what is good. And then verse 22. Be holy. And we do that by Paul's admonition here to abstain from every form of evil. A mature believer has learned to throw the idols in their life in the trash as well. Paul has no problem telling the Thessalonian church, get that stuff out. Throw it away. Change the way that you live. And for us as well, that's the same admonishment that we have from Paul. 
get rid of your idols. You're a mature believer. Stop doing the things to satisfy yourself. Put them aside. Throw them away. And so we have that encouragement here in verse 22. Practicality for the local church in 2 Thessalonians. Advanced eschatology. The coming judgment of Christ. 2 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 12. <laughs> the coming of the Antichrist, chapter 2, 1 through 12. We have also theological subjects. We have the election in 2, 13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification uh, by the Spirit and belief in the truth. In this verse, I made notes because Steve has gone through this a few times, but we actually see the Trinity in action in this one verse. We see the work of the Holy Spirit, we see the work of the Father, and we, we see the work of the Son. And so that verse is just showing you all three of the Godhead were involved in your sanctification and your salvation. That, that is the proof that there is not one God who is taking many hats or, or a God that has somehow created the Lord Jesus, but this is proof that all three of them are all at work in your life. And so Paul gives us, gives us that insight in verse 13 about our election. We also have sanctification in verse 13. Through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Remember uh, John seventeen seventeen, where Jesus is praying for us, and he says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Well, Paul is bringing up that same topic again through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. The Spirit has washed you and regenerated you, and now truth becomes the thing that is changing and transforming you. Being filled with truth uh, is, is the life of a believer. And so as we learn more and more truth, we, we go closer to Christ, and our life is more sanctified. We also have calling and regeneration, verse 14, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we have also the authority of Scripture. Therefore, brethren, this is verse 15, chapter 2, verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by epistle. And now we have evangelism and persecution, 3, 1 through 5. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as as it is with you, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. So pray, pray that the word of God would go forward. Pray that we endure persecution. And that was what Paul was asking the Thessalonian church to do. And now we have Christian work ethic, chapter 3, 6 through 12. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you, how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge. But we worked and labored and toiled night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. So this, again, this is Paul saying, we were working alongside of you. We had the right to, to, to take bread and to take um, provision from you. Um, but they did not. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. 
For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now, those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ, that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. So Paul is saying, the day of the Lord is coming. No no time to take off a couple days of work. You can't just coast into this day. This day is not coming in the way that you think it's going to come. And also Paul is exhorting them to walk blameless. So what will will the world see if they see a bunch of Christians who are waiting for the Lord to come and they've just given up? And so Paul is encouraging them to continue working and notice those men and those women who are not, who are walking disorderly. Take note of them and, and encourage them and admonish them to work. And to work... Uh, they work quietly, and they uh, eat their own eat their own bread. Faithfulness in ministry, in verse thirteen. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And so we are we are encouraged to continue doing this until the day the Lord comes, and to to bring honor to the Lord. And then we have church discipline in verse uh, fourteen and fifteen. And if anyone does not obey our word in the, in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy but admonish him as a brother. And so we wrap up the, 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 the admonitions in the end here with Paul saying, encourage your brother, come alongside him, but, to, but what, warn him not to, not to walk disorderly. Warn him not to give up and to stop working. May, may he continue to work and continue to honor the Lord until he come. And that's what I have for today. What we didn't talk about was... The, the restrainer in chapter 2, uh, we didn't talk about the work of lawlessness. And so since that's not in my notes, I'm not going to go there. I'll leave it for Jay or for Steve. But I will encourage you on this. When you read, if you, if you do have an interpretive issue and you wonder who the restrainer is, you wonder who, who is withholding, what, what, is, what, is, what's, what is happening in the heavens that is, that is taking place that we don't know is going on, but when something changes, everything's going to change. Um, that's what chapter 2 is about, the great apostasy, the, the, the restrainer. Um, and so what I would encourage you is a few things. Uh, I would encourage you to figure out who the he's and the they's and the those are in that passage. I would encourage you to look at, look at that passage in chapter 2 and, and consider um, how God is controlling, how God is sovereignly orchestrating his plan. He, you know, God is ultimately the restrainer. But he uses the pronoun he, and that he is not in, in direct reference to himself. And so we know that God is restraining. That's the answer. But the question, how, what is the means of his restraint? Um, and so I would, I would just ask you guys to look that up and maybe have some great questions for Jay or for uh, Steve next week. <laughs> really hit him hard and make him give you all the Greek and all, of the, uh, all, the, all those things. So um, anyway, um, any questions? Yes, Justin. Can you bring up the literary structure slide again? Maybe. I mean, let me let me let me try this. Why is it? So I've got it here. Did I lose it because I let it sleep, or do I need to start it over? I'll get it in a second. We we've, we've still got a few minutes. I've got it on there. Oh, just we need to start the presentation again. You, what, what is your question, question about it specifically? Do you have a question, or is it you just want to see the slide? I just only got the first two. I just wanted to write it all down. Perfect. Yep. Any other questions? Jimmy. 
Did Paul have any kind of insider information about the end times, the eschatology? Did he have a vision? How did he get this? Yeah, the question from Jimmy was, did Paul have some insight into the coming of the Lord and to what was happening? And we, we, have a, we do have a passage in, in Corinthians where he is, um, and Brandon Brummett read it last Sunday night as well. Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is a very good explanation of a lot of things going on and a lot of revelation that we don't really have until this point in, in the church. Um, and so I would, I would send you to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, and we, we, we hear from Paul that he is taken up into the third heaven. And he, he has revealed things that he can't speak of. But what we do know he speaks of is he gives us 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And he gives us the two epistles to Thessalonia, uh, the Thessalonican church. Uh, and so that would be where I would lead you to is, is those revelations that we, that we get from Paul. Um, we also know that he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, and so that had to be a sight for him to see as well. Jay, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, no, that's that's actually, that's awesome. That, yeah, his uh, revelation in Second Corinthians twelve, when uh, he talks about how he went to the third heaven. So that's a that's a big that's a big part of it. And also what David was mentioning with the on the road to Damascus, there's a lot of parallels. Really cool. There's a lot of verbal parallels with that vision and the vision that Ezekiel sees and the vision that Isaiah sees. You know, the holy, 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 uh, the whole earth is full of his glory. And, and the vision that John sees in Revelation 4 and then the vision that Daniel sees in Daniel 7. And the implication is is that all of those visions are connected and that they're actually seeing the same event, which is the Son of Man taking ownership and authority over the earth. So that's very eschatological, which is interesting for this kind of discussion that Paul would have some insight into that because he saw that vision of the Son of Man when Jesus actually comes to him. Uh, it's not just a flippant thing. It's actually that there are verbal parallels, multiple verbal parallels that help us make that connection. So, yeah. yeah. Th- th- thank you. Yeah. Second Corinthians uh, chapter 12 uh, is the vision of paradise that, that we have the heading there. And then 1 Corinthians 15, which would have been written prior to that, uh, would also give you a great example. And I, the, the imagery that I love of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, one that is a mind blower, Then comes the end. This is verse 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. This is Jesus with this, this, now this perfect people and this perfect kingdom now saying, Father, I give it to you. I I don't really know how to, I'm, I'm already broken up. It's, I don't understand what is going on with, between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that this is the present that God is, is giving. God gave that to Jesus in his prayer in, in, the, in the Garden of Gethsemane before his betrayal. And yet now Jesus is saying, this is the plan to give it back to you. So we're, we're part of that precious pearl. We're part of that, that kingdom of God. And Paul is just simply saying, if you see the end, live today to bring glory to God and to bring honor to him. And so Paul's epistles are just straight to it, straight to the point. 
And so anyway, yeah, so Daniel, it's Daniel 7, it's Revelation. These are all, all of these things are revelation by the Lord himself to give us, an, to give us a good timeline and a good, a good written history. I think in one of your papers you're going to have to give an eschatological, eschatological kind of a set of events. And I don't know if you've done it at this time yet, but this will be, you'll t- you'll, you're going to tell the story. And these are going to be your passages. What's going to happen? 1 Corinthians 15. Why, where did Paul get this information from his vision? Uh, why, why did John give us the revelation? Because he's kind of finishing. He's finishing up this, the narrative that we need to know. And he's creating a timeline. And he's creating a history, a narrative for us to be able to tell someone, hey, this is what's going to happen. And, Paul's, and Paul ends with the Thessalonians. Um, he says, comfort one another. So they, they didn't have revelation yet. And, and, and the, the Thessalonians didn't have it at this time. And so, you know, here we are. We're, we get that revelation um, a few decades later um, from John. So, good question. I think I have 10 seconds. <laughs> I have a 10.16, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that as a sign to stop. It was a pleasure being here with you guys today. Um, and let Jay know if I stunk. <laughs> and... Uh, and let Steve know uh, that if I, if, if, I, uh, if I stunk as well. But anyway, I enjoy being here with you. I, I love this. I love being burdened with preparing these lessons, the opportunity to share the gospel, to share the word of God. And so it is a pleasure, my pleasure to be here. And, uh, and I thank you for listening. Let's, let's close in prayer. We'll get out a few minutes early. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that you have given us. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the admonishment you give us in these two epistles to the Thessalonian church, a very new church. Paul is concerned in his heart about them, and so he sends Timothy. And Timothy reports back that they're that they are sharing the gospel to everyone who comes, that they are suffering, that they're, they're having persecution because they have, they have started to share the gospel and they're turning the world upside down by sharing it in this entire region. And so we thank you for the word of God that we have before us. We pray that it would encourage us to live for that day when we will see you. We pray that we would live in a way that would bring honor to you, that would be blameless. We would, show, we would pray that we would live uh, in a way that shows love for one another, that we would seek the good, always seek the good from one another. We thank you for this time. We thank you that we are about to to gather together to hear the word of God proclaimed to us. We thank you that we're about about ready to gather to hear and to sing songs and hymns and to bring worship to you. We have an opportunity to give to you from what you've given us. We pray that our families will be able to join us and to sing. And so we thank you for all these blessings that we have that we see because you have changed us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit's work in us. We thank you for your Son who died on the cross and rose again. And we thank you, Father, for your great plan, your great wisdom that we see demonstrated every day in our lives. We pray that we live in a way that brings honor to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.